Uh, I want to thank Paul for allowing me to come and be back at a church that we dearly love, that has prayed us through more things than we could possibly ever measure. Uh, you'll notice today I have a little bit of issue with my speech. They've got me on prednisone. I said, I don't want to work, work out and build up muscles. They said, we'll just put you on steroids then. Um, but it dries my mouth out and affects my speech. I have not been to a local bar. It just, sometimes it, it gets my S's and my C's and messes me up a little bit. But I am uh, so grateful for the transition team, for the work that they did, uh, for calling Paul to be the pastor of this church. And um, I could not be more proud of what God is doing through Paul if he were my own son. Uh, he is just doing... We, uh, we text and, and talk, and sometimes on his drive home, and then I can tell when he's in the driveway and when he's trying to get me off the phone because he's a very meticulous person about his schedule. Uh, but uh, I loved Paul Gotthardt from the minute I met him. Uh, when we were at Refresh in Las Vegas, and then I did a men's conference for him. And I mean, God just said to my heart, you need to put him on your radar. And I didn't even know what that meant at the time. But I can tell you that without any doubt or reservation, standing behind this pulpit, you call the right man. And uh, this... Uh, I asked Jim McBride, uh, you are running above pre-COVID numbers, which is unheard of in churches across America. Most of them are down 25%, which says that the presence of God and prayer and unity in this church brings people together in ways that nothing else can. I've done a lot of Zoom calls and uh, staff meetings, Zoom calls with different people and, and pastors. And uh, I did a Zoom call with 80 pastors in Indonesia about six months ago. That took a while because we had to use a translator. Um, so my 20 minutes became an hour and 45. But, um, but that's happened here before. So... Thank you for your prayers. Uh, we're in year five since my first cancer diagnosis, and I believe that your prayers have sustained us in ways that will never be understood by me or by you until we get to glory. And when we get to glory, God will show us how he did all of that. The... Uh, trip into Albany, I was beginning to think that maybe I wasn't supposed to come back here. 
Because the first time I'm sitting over there in the bride's room and all of a sudden I'm laying on the floor and I'm kind of out of it and, and Anthony and Troy and Jim, they come in there and all of a sudden I end up getting fluids and I'm going, well, I can't, can't figure out why I came down here. Well, I want to tell you why I came. It wasn't to preach. I came because later that week when we got home, I listened to Paul's message from Sunday night on revival. And while I was listening to it on YouTube, I told Terry, I said, I came so that I could get out of the way so that Paul could preach that message on revival. So I knew the purpose God had in mind and all that. But we're coming in, everything's going okay, and, and the plane's coming in. We're, we're, they bumped us up to comfort on the Albany flight, <laughs> which is row one with your knees in your chest instead of your chin. And so we're coming in, we get below the cloud bank, and then we're, we're doing this. I mean, we're coming down like this. And I said, nose is too steep. I said, he's trying to get it through the wind because the wind was just rocking us. He's, he's trying to get it from the wind flipping the plane back. He's got it down. He keeps coming in. He keeps, we keep getting closer and closer. Uh, I see a couple of anthills and... and <laughs> A little rodent running across the track. We keep coming in, nose down, and he gets right on it. And I said, he's coming in too steep. And Terry's like, huh? <laughs> but this is a stewardess. I mean, she is freaking out. And I'm thinking, you're supposed to be calm in these situations. And he hits and goes straight back up. He did an aircraft landing touch and go. And he goes straight back up, and the stewardess looked at me and said, what is happening? <laughs> Do I look like a pilot? I mean, and so we go, and the pilot doesn't say a word. And she's going, he's not talking to us. He's not talking to us. She texts her family to tell them something was wrong. We circle, and the pilot says, well, I guess you're up. Uh, Wanted to have a little bit more of a view of Albany. I, I ran out of runway, and I knew I was going to go to the end of the runway, so I just need to pull it up, and we're going to try this again. I said, dear Lord Jesus, <laughs> if you don't want me to preach it, Sherwood, just tell me. <laughs> but we landed, and uh, I spoke for Garrett Grubbs in Valdosta last Sunday, and we had a great time. I want to tell you, Garrett is doing a great job at his church. I spoke for Stephen Durbin back in November for his fifth anniversary. Stephen's doing a remarkable job. This church has produced some great young men that God is using to build churches for the kingdom. So, um, that was all my time. Uh, <laughs> I've discovered something being away from here, and I've said it to you before. Churches like Sherwood are rare. Uh, we live in a county that is stuck in, I think they finally moved to 1953. 
I mean, everybody's still in choir robes. They're still using King James only. They're turning people away. They're offending, fighting, fussing. I sat down with a pastor of one of the major churches in the county, and he said, would you come help me? I said, no. He said, well, would you come teach? I said, no. He said, well, why not? I said, how many times has your church split in the last 20 years? He said, four. I said, now, I'll tell you what I will do. I'll show up at business meeting with a baseball bat. Uh, I can help you that way. I said, you only got to knock a couple of them out. Uh, I said, I bet it's the same people causing you trouble that caused the last pastor trouble. Yeah. And I said, you better put your big boy pants on. Because if they're going to fire you, go down standing up like a man. Don't go out whimpering uh, in their presence. So there's a lot of that going on uh, around there. And uh, we have chosen to keep our membership at Sherwood because I want to be accountable to Paul. Uh, I ask you to be accountable for 31 and a half years, and I want to be accountable to a pastor who knows me. And so we're, we're not home a lot. I'm, by the grace of God, uh, I'm able to travel and preach some. Uh, but uh, when we're home, uh, we typically, well, at least one Sunday a month, we'll watch the service here. And even then, I can sense the presence of God in this place. So I want to speak to you out of Romans 8 and verse 37. Now, it's really a message on one verse, but I'm going to bracket it like an Oreo, and it's got two sides, one on each side of this verse. Romans chapter 8 and verse 37. But in all these things, all, circle all, we overwhelmingly, underline overwhelmingly, conquer through him who loved us. Now, you know my story. I got saved in the Jesus movement, and it was, I grew up religious, I was baptized when I was eight years old, but I really didn't get to know Jesus until the Jesus movement, and I got saved, and I mean, it was glorious. But like any revival, the feelings of the revival, the emotions of the revival can wane over time. Not the impact, not the effect, because it still impacts me to this day. But the feelings of it, and as a new believer, I could often get caught up in the feelings of the Holy Spirit, the experiences, the, the soulish part, and not walk in the fullness of the Spirit on the down days. So I got out of college, Terry and I got married, and uh, she was uh, eight and I was 12. And uh, <laughs> we got married, moved to Kansas City, and I didn't know it, but I went to a very liberal seminary. I mean, I'm talking about liberal. And so it was beginning to take the joy out of my life. It takes the joy out of my salvation. And a friend of mine who's now in glory uh, said, hey, we've got a Bible conference at our church. So we moved there, 
Bible conference was in November. No, it was in first of December. And uh, so he said, why don't you go? And I said, well, I hate going to class anyway. So are they having sessions in the morning? He said, yeah, having sessions in the morning and uh, in the afternoon and at night. So I just cut classes and I went to the Bible conference. Well, some of these people I didn't know. So the first session is Jack Taylor, who had just written the book, The Key to Triumphant Living, which I had read, and Miss Bertha Smith, and Manly Beasley. Now, if you ever want to drink from a fire hydrant, that's a big start. And I heard these giants in our denomination talking about something that was far deeper than what I had experienced. I mean, they were walking with God in ways that I didn't understand. Miss Bertha had survived the takeover of China by the communists. Manly was dealing with deadly diseases. I mean, it, it was just a mess. And yet here were these people talking about the victorious Christian life who were going through hell by the acre. And I saw them and I heard them and I thought, they've got something I don't have or something I don't understand. Well, that's also the conference. And if you've been at Sherwood for a while, you know about Ron Dunn and his influence on my life. And that's also the conference that after Ron buried his son, Ronnie, who committed suicide on Thanksgiving Day, he buried him and he came on the Friday night of the next week and preached on Romans 8:28, All things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And my immediate thought was, how in the world can that man preach that verse? And he said in that message, now don't ask me, if I feel like it, but I do know it. And I realized that I needed what they had, that it wasn't just for them. They were trying to help me and everybody else there to understand what it means to be an overcomer, to walk in victory. And as I've talked to pastors and as I've preached, even since leaving here, I see so many defeated people and so many discouraged pastors and so many churches that have just given up since COVID. They've just given up. And they're closing the doors and they're, they're just trying to figure out what to do. And typically that means they're not doing anything. And my thought was, surely Jesus died for more than this. The church is supposed to walk in power. Where is the sign of his power? Because power is not in the building. Although, if you lick an electrical socket, you will feel power. But the power is in the Holy Spirit. And so I, I began to ask myself, in a time where we have more books and more podcasts, and more resources than we've ever had in the history of the kingdom, why are we walking in defeat? 
So here's my summary statement of what God wants to do in your life and in my life. And by the way, I'm still learning this. I have to learn it every day. Here it is. The role of the Holy Spirit is to make experiential in the life of every Christian all that God has promised and provided. To make experiential in your life, in my life, all that God has promised and provided. Now here's why it's not working. The promises of God are true, but we fail to appropriate those promises. And we look around and say, yeah, it works for him, but it won't work for me. And that's the devil. That's your flesh or that's some sin that you have not been able to overcome. But some voice is speaking into your heart and into your life and saying, that's a really good principle. I'm going to write that down in my notes, but it's not going to work for me. I would submit to you, it's for every one of you to walk in that kind of relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, how does that work? It works by faith. Now, when I first got saved, and, and maybe when you first got saved, you, you know, you got that feeling, and, and you had that person that said, oh, you'll get over it. And you're waiting for a feeling. But he didn't say be feeling the Holy Spirit. Paul said be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a command. It's not a command for a few, it's a command for all. Everybody in the church at Ephesus that read that letter understood one thing. We're all to be filled with the Spirit. And everybody that reads Ephesians should understand we're all to be filled with the Spirit. So Manley said, if you're not trusting God, you're in sin. Uh-oh. I found that quote for the first time about a month ago, and I thought, I wish I hadn't found that quote. <laughs> if you're not trusting God, you're in sin. You see, God wants us to seek. Well, we've been seeking. He wants us to find it. We've been finding. He wants us to knock, and we've been knocking. But it's not like we ever reach a point where we arrive. We're in process. We're taking steps on a journey toward glory when all things become new. So the Christian, Christian life is not starting with Jesus and getting something better. It is starting, continuing, and ending with Jesus. You don't get better than Jesus. I, I've heard preachers and I've heard people say, well, I found something better than Jesus. <laughs> no, you did not. There's nothing better than Jesus. There's only one name that is recognized in heaven with the ability to forgive us of our sins and to pray for us and to send his Holy Spirit to live inside of us. And that's the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. You don't start with him and go somewhere else. You start and you end with him. Let the last words of your mouth be, Jesus is the sweetest name I know. Now, you get to Paul in Romans, 
And uh, I'm further along than you think I am. I'm just trying to make some of you feel better. You get to, to Romans 7 and 8, and Paul begins to talk about how to walk in the Spirit. Now, the, the problem is not how to walk. The problem is how to keep walking. You know? I mean, those of you that had babies, you, you remember those days when finally they, kind of like me when I'm getting up out of a chair right now, <laughs> you know, they, they get up and they start wobbling, and that little diaper in the back's a little heavy, and... and <laughs> You know, they're, they're wobbling around, and you're just excited. You take pictures, and you send them to everybody. They're standing up. They're standing up. And then they, and boom, then they fall down. Well, sometimes that's some Christians. We get up, and we, we take a little step. The, the problem is not that they can't walk. It's that they don't keep walking. What you want your baby to do is keep walking. You want to be on one side of the room and say, come to daddy. And they just come running. And you go back to that first step, and that running started with standing. And then a step. And then another step. And then before you know it, they're walking. And then they're running. And then they reach that point where they walk out the door with your wallet. Driving your car on your insurance. But what we want is we want believers that keep walking. We don't want believers that are on fire for God and then five years later we go, whatever happened to so-and-so? We want people to finish well. One of the great pleasures of pastoring this church for 31 and a half years Quite honestly, pleasure may be the wrong word, but was doing the funerals for people that finished well. I didn't have to figure out what to say. Their lives were a testimony, even after they were gone. We want people to walk. Now, here's a long quote from Ron. I wouldn't be preaching if it, I didn't have a quote from Ron, so... There'll be one from Havner in a few minutes, so don't worry. I'll cover all my bases. Ron said, if you want to be a conqueror, you must first be conquered. As a follower of Jesus, this is the key. We either do not know or we refuse to accept and obey. If you want to be an overcomer, you must first be overcome. If you want to be a master, you must first be mastered. Your victory in Christ will be in direct proportion to his victory over you. And then he said, and it's not on this, if there is an area in your life where there is repeated, repeated, repeated failure and defeat, it is a good sign that there is an area of our life over which Jesus is not absolutely unrivaled Lord. Now, look at Romans 8, 37, and let's put it in context. A text without a context will get you in trouble. So he says, in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. In verse 31, 
He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And then his answer includes a list of problems and situations that might, might, might threaten us, but they can't because in verse 39 he says, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So between verse 31 and verse 39, this is what Paul is basically saying. If God is for us, it really doesn't matter who or what is against us. If God's for us, then who cares what the stuff is? Now, he gives two lists. He gives a visible list, and he gives an invisible list, things that we can see happening on earth and things that are happening in the heavenlies, in the spiritual realm. And he says, in all these things, what's, what's he doing? Well, Jesus said, I, I'm sending you out in the midst of wolves. He said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. And yet, he, Paul comes to verse 37, and he has had more than his share of problems and he says, in all these things, things which it would appear we could not overcome or escape. And he presents these things and saying they could separate us from the love of God, but they won't. And they can't because we are overwhelmingly conquering. Now, I'm not going to take time to dig deep, but tribulation is a word general word for pressure. He's talking about affliction, distress. Uh, that's distress is translated anguish in Romans chapter 2 and verse 9. It, it means I don't know where to turn. I don't know what to do. You had a day like that? <laughs> I don't know where to turn. I don't know what to do. I have two things, that, well, I have three. I have the Holy Spirit that tells me where to turn and what to do. I have my car GPS, and I have Terry. <laughs> it's a trinity. <laughs> now, here's what Paul says about tribulation and distress. They do not have the power to separate you from the love of God. Well, I don't feel the love of God right now. You don't have to. They don't have the power to separate you from the reality of the love of God in Christ Jesus. Persecution, that's going on everywhere. That could be ridicule, mocking, shame, harassment, famine. To have no food or no way to get food. By the way, one billion people in the world tonight will go to bed hungry. They've had nothing to eat today. Nakedness, a lack of the basic requirements of life. Peril, danger, the sword. Paul had gone through all of these except for the sword, and he was headed toward that. Now, if you had a testimony service and you said, I want somebody to just share their testimony. Oh, oh, oh. sure would. I want to tell you something. I got, I got tribulation and I got distress. And somebody stand up and say, praise God, isn't he good? He's right there in the middle of it. Apparently, y'all didn't hear what I said. I've got tribulation and distress. Isn't it amazing how we focus on the things that bother us and not on the things we ought to stand on? 
We ought to stand on the promises of God. You know what? I've got tribulation and distress, but that's not my focus. My focus is on the love of God who knows where I am, knows what I'm going through, loves me unconditionally, and has prepared a place for me in heaven. Oh, you can't beat that. I mean, you just, Amazon can't deliver that in Prime. They can't deliver anything in Prime now, but, you know. Now, notice this. We could see these things as signs of defeat and despair. Paul says, think again, and circle the word in. In all these things, not out of all these things. In the midst of all these. See, we think, if I got out of the trouble and distress, life would be great. Paul says, right smack dab in the middle of the trouble and distress, God is right there. He's right there. So, not out of, but in. And he says in verse 38, I am persuaded that God's able. That is a heart word. See, here's where we get messed up. We get a lot of Bible teaching and we, we look at the word persuaded, we, we get a concordance out, we write down some notes about it, and we know it up here, but when we get squeezed, we forget it right here. When Paul says, I'm persuaded, Paul is saying, I know deep, deep, deep in my heart of hearts that no matter what I'm going through, God is able. If I get out of it, fine. If I don't, then I'm going to walk in victory in the middle of it. So, we live thinking, you know, that's true in my life except for this one area. So, uh, to the extent of 90% of my life, yes, this is true, but I got this one little area that... I have continual defeat in. My son-in-law, Drew, can just about build anything. Uh, I give him a list of projects when he comes to my house. That's how he gets to eat. (laughs) Dad's got to do what dad's got to do. But he'll get started on a project, and uh, he'll get almost finished with it, and then he'll stop, and he'll go on to something else. And then Aaron will say, hey, we need to finish that project. He says, it's just a couple of days. Just take a couple of days. So for Christmas, she had him made a construction T-shirt, and it says, two-day construction. I'll get to it. Just take a couple of days. So we're going to stay with them in a, in a few weeks, and uh, the bedroom's upstairs, and there's no handrail on the stairs. And so I called Aaron one morning, and I said, Aaron, I know y'all are remodeling, but we're not going to stay upstairs. Your mom and I are not going to walk up and downstairs without a handrail. So I need you to light a fire. <laughs> so like two days later, there's a video of Aaron. Hi, we're building a rail on the steps going upstairs. 
Get the project done. Get the project finished. You know, sometimes you run across things in life and you think, if I just had two more days, and God says, you don't need two days. You need me. And you need me now to finish the work that I've started in you. So, we don't do that, then defeat becomes normal. We come to church and we get high and we walk out and we're defeated. Secondly, we overwhelmingly conquer. Not one day, not eventually. Here and now, Paul says right now, this is his thought. We keep achieving victory. The troubles do not separate us from God's love. In fact, they do just the opposite. We conquer in the midst of these troubles. The situation that Paul has in mind is used by God so that we can have a greater awareness of the power of God. What does 1 John say? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We have victory over the world, the flesh, and devil. That pretty much covers it. By the way, Jesus said in Luke 24 that we'd be clothed in power. Acts 1, we will receive power. Kittle's Theological Dictionary gives 30 pages to the meaning of the word power. God's power available to us. God's power that transforms us. Pentecost was the hour of promise, but it was also the hour of power. Not Bob Shuler, hour of power. Different, real power. People who live in glass houses shouldn't pastor churches, but that's another thing. Some of you are going, who? What? You got to be old to understand this stuff. So let's, let's just think about this. Superheroes are a big deal to our children. Marvel, the Avengers. You know, you get a little punk guy, and all of a sudden he gets this infusion, he's got these muscles, and he's, he's Captain America. He gets a shield. <laughs> Somebody comes at him, turns it into a frisbee. Boom! Bam! Comes back. Got a shield. Or we think Thor got this big hammer. <laughs> Lightning hits it. <laughs> Those are cartoon characters, folks. Aquaman goes in the deep end of the pool, doesn't drown. <laughs> I like Hawkeye, got those arrows. You know, Robin Hood had those. He'd have gotten rid of all those other people a lot quicker. So we, we get all these superheroes, and they got these costumes, and you buy them for your kids at Halloween, and then you don't know what to do with them because then they sleep in them for about five days, and they stand up in a corner by themselves. They smell so bad. And you get them a plastic hammer. And we think, that, that's what an overcomer is. No, you don't need all that stuff. You're an overcomer because of who lives right here. 
the Holy Spirit living in your heart. That's where the power is. Now, how did it work for them in the New Testament? How does it work for us? Through him. The psalmist says, power belongs to God. Not your power, not my power, his power. Romans 8, 37, literally, we are super conquerors. I think Paul had for a book of the month, one of Trumbull's books, in his book, The Life That Wins, he says, there's only one victorious life, and that is the life of Christ. Now, this is not an ordinary victory. In fact, the Greek is a single compound verb that lies beneath five English words. We are more than conquerors. It's a rare, intensive verb of certainty that we overwhelmingly, we hyper, we above all conquer. One translation reads, we are winning a most glorious victory. How? Through him who loved us. Hebrews 11:6. And without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. He is. That's a statement of dependency. He is. I'm not able. He is. A rewarder. That's a statement of expectancy. Now, let me tell you what that means. It means that the weakest of us can walk in victory. The weakest of us, the most scarred, the most bruised, the ones with the biggest hurts, the ones in the deepest distress, have a victory that is available to us because God is a rewarder of those who seek him. So my job, if I want to be an overcomer, is just to seek the Lord, just to go after him. We walk the same way we come to Christ, by faith. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Remember what Paul says in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians? He's going through trials. He's prayed for the removal of a thorn three times. Now, I want to tell you something. None of us have Paul's prayer life. I mean, Paul is a different level than us because of his salvation experience and his prayer life. And, but we have the same God. But most of us would agree. I, when it comes to praying, I'm not the Apostle Paul. But Paul asked three times, get rid of this thorn. What did God say? My grace is sufficient for thee. God's guaranteed a victory. Look at it. My grace. Whose grace is it? My grace. God's grace. My grace. Look at what it is. It's grace. It's not because you're good enough or better than. It's all grace. My grace is sufficient. When? Right now. My grace is sufficient for you. Look who it's for. It's 
for you and the person sitting next to you. So what Paul would tell us is, this is the life of a yielded believer, dominated, controlled, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's the life of Christ in us. What's that look like? Looks like the Beatitudes. Looks like 1 Corinthians 13. Looks like the fruit of the Spirit. That's what it looks like. It's when Christ is so preeminent and predominant in our lives that when life squeezes us, people see Jesus in us. They don't see us. They see Jesus in us. These last five years, I've, I mean, we build our life around doctor's appointments. And we got to go here, got to go there, got to do this, got to do that. It's, I mean, it's, it's always something. And one of my prayers in all of this, whether they're hooking me up to chemo infusion or I'm seeing a doctor or seeing a cardiologist or whatever I'm doing, I want people to see Jesus in me. You know, when you go to a doctor, they always ask you, what, what's your birthday? Yeah. What's your name? Michael Cameron Cap. What's your birthday? 1225-1852. And they just kind of snicker. And I said, you know, me and another famous guy were born on that day. And at times it has opened up conversations when they just shrug it off. I said, you know who the other person is, don't you? It's Jesus. But when I finished my last proton treatments back last year, because of COVID and everything else, people weren't gathering. I asked for one favor. I said, I'd like to see my treatment team back here in this room. And Terry came back and my treatment team came back. We didn't go out and ring a bell or anything else. And I just shared with them how God had used them in my life and how grateful I was for them. And I shared with them about Christ in me and that I prayed that they had seen Jesus in me when I was going through that. Folks, there's an old song that says, let others see Jesus in you. Let others see Jesus in you. Keep telling the story. Be faithful and true. Let others see Jesus in you. Now, I can't leave without Vance Havner's story. Seth, come on and get the praise team up here. But. So Vance Havner's telling a story about this boys' school and at this boys' school, the way that they started the school day was uh, they would quote the Apostles' Creed. And so they would start on the front row and go across the second row. And so they, you know, one boy would do one part, one boy would do second part, one boy would do third part. So 
First boy would say, I believe in God the Father Almighty. Second boy would say, I believe in God the Holy Spirit. Third boy would say, God the Son. Third boy would say, I believe in God the Holy Spirit. So that's how they started school every day. One day, you know, the teacher's looking down, said, okay, let's start. First boy says, I believe in God the Father Almighty. Second boy says, I believe in God the Son. And then there's total silence. And a little boy in the back says, the boy that believes in the Holy Ghost is not here. <laughs> you know why we're not walking in revival? You know why we're not walking in victory? Because the boys and girls and the men and women and the moms and dads and the grandparents that don't believe in the Holy Spirit haven't surrendered to that truth yet and learn to walk as an overcomer. Let's pray together. Just a moment, staff and wives and some other folks will be here at the front. The praise team's going to sing. And I know we've gone a little long. But I want to ask you if today you are desperate enough to say I am tired of being defeated and I want to be an overcomer and I am choosing today to draw a line in the sand and say God as of this day I'm standing on these promises I'm standing in this truth. I'm believing you that what you say is true. Then when they start to sing, I'm going to ask you just to, everybody will stand when we start to sing, and I'm going to ask you to step out, find one of these folks. If you need a relationship with Jesus Christ, you've never had one, they will meet with you and tell you how you can have a relationship with Christ. Father, I ask you to move in these few moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. They're singing. You come right now.